Let's pray. Father, thank you for opening our eyes. I ask that you would continue to do that as we look to your word, as we look to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Wow, thank you, worship team. As I was just standing there, here we are to worship, here we are to bow down, here we are to submit. As Christians, we're called to submit. We're called to submit to Christ because of who he is and what he's done for us and who he took and who he created new. Submission is not a very popular concept in our world today. Our world tells us we don't need to submit to anyone. We can do whatever we want to do and we think that there shouldn't be anyone to tell us otherwise. We think we can do whatever we want regardless of the established consequences. And we even expect someone else to submit to us without there being a mutual submission from ourselves. And God calls us, is calling us to submit to every human authority. And we as followers of Jesus are to submit to our government. And today we're going to continue to look at submission in our workplace and submission when situations are good, but also when situations are unjust. We're finding ourselves in unjust situation and experiencing the consequences of, of that. Because really we all are, we all have to submit to someone. To God, to human authorities, to government, to employers, to husbands, to parents, to pastors, to church members. And if you're anything like me, and I want to say I'm just being human as we struggle with submission. I think we can come to think that because we're Christians, our lives should go a certain way. God has to make our lives perfect because we came to him in belief and he has to come to us with a life that's good, a life that's free from suffering. And you might say, no, I don't really think that way. Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you suffered? How did you respond to that suffering? Did you throw a party? Did you celebrate? Get yourself a donut or a cup of coffee? Did you walk around with a sticker to herald your accomplishments that said, I submitted or I suffered? I remember the last time I suffered. I use air quotes because I'm not going to tell you what I thought was suffering. I'd be a little embarrassed. But how I responded was I just threw myself a little temper tantrum. My daughter would go. I didn't do that. I acted appropriately at my age, my temper tantrum. But I responded. (laughs) I responded sinfully. I think how we respond to injustice 
or suffering reveals a lot about what we believe our relationship to suffering is to be. What about this one? What if you're suffering due to injustice? How do you respond to that? Do you smile and nod and go about your merry way, maybe give yourself a little whistle? Or do you think about how you can get even? Maybe you're tempted to slander the one who's causing you to suffer unjustly. Maybe you're thinking about how you can take advantage of the situation to look out for yourself because no one else is looking out for you. Maybe you even try to get yourself out of the situation completely. We all have experienced suffering, and we're all going to experience unjust suffering. And so when we encounter this suffering, we want to remove ourselves from it, especially when we're being treated unjustly. But what if there's a different option? What if there's a better way? What if we're called to a different response to suffering? What if there was a way that we could endure it? What if you could gain favor from God by enduring your suffering? What if you could change the eternal destiny of someone's life? If that is true, would you endure it? Some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds great. Let's make the most of suffering, but where in the world do I start? What if you could follow the example of someone who has done it? In our passage today, Peter is going to give us the why and the how of enduring unjust suffering. He's not just going to give us the why and the how, but he's going to give us an example of how to do it, but not just an example but the resources we need. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair rack in front of you, and that's on page 851. We're continuing our study in the book of 1 Peter, and if you were here last week, we talked about how we're transitioning in the part of the book from the rich theological truths of who Peter says we are and how they play out in our lives. We talked about how chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 sets the stage for, the, for what follows in the rest of the book. We are to abstain from sinful desires and live such good lives among the pagans or among unbelievers. So as they see our good lives, they will bring glory to God on the day that he visits us, at the day of visitation, or when God comes to them in salvation. This is huge. Peter is saying that our living such good lives, God can use to bring someone to faith in Christ. That's what we are to do. That's who we are. That's a result of being in Christ. We've said that who we are affects what we do. Whose you are affects what you do. And this is some of the things that Peter describes. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, So what do we do? We declare his praises. We abstain from sinful desires and live such good lives. Peter also tells us that we're foreigners and exiles. Peter wants us to understand how different we are from the world in which we find ourselves. And since we are different, we live differently. One of the ways that we do that is by submitting 
And we look today submitting to human authorities, to governments, but also to our workplaces. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 11 and continue for the rest of the chapter. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers in the world to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us or the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority instituted among men, whether that be kings as supreme authority or to governors. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. So we're learning that enduring unjust suffering as we submit to those in authority. And remember what Jesus said in John 15, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we must realize that as we submit to those in authority, we will experience suffering. We will experience suffering. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Now, when you think of the word slave, you may think of the American slavery, maybe your cultural context in which you're viewing that, but we have to realize that Peter is writing to a different culture, and slaves in that culture were more of servants. It was an, um, uh, that's why some of your translations may say servants or uh, employee-employer relationships. These were people who were educated they were getting paid to live and work for their master. They were part of their master's household. It would be as if you were uh, an administrative assistant for a vice president. You, you were related to him. You, you shared the same uh, status in some cases. And so he's talking about those who would work for their masters. It's the context of an employee-employer relationship. It's different. It says, submit yourselves, not just obeying what they say, but voluntarily putting yourself under their authority. With all respect, if you have the New American Standard Version, it says, with all respect, knowing and realizing that they are your masters, they are an authority over you. And it's easy to submit to 
the world's best boss, right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> My boss has won the world's best boss for 12 years in a row now. So if he says, hey, I, I need a cup of coffee, would you go? Oh, absolutely. Hey, I need my dry cleaning done. Oh, absolutely. So there's no problem if, you're, if your master is good or your employer is, is good and kind and considerate. It's okay to submit to them. I can relate. Maybe I should even get a comp day for that as well. Right, it's easy, but what happened when our masters or our employers are not that way? What if when they're harsh or unjust, what if they purposely do things to cause you to suffer? It's a lot harder to submit in that context, isn't it? And it's not, maybe you're retired, maybe you don't, you don't, you don't work for anybody. But there's a universal principle of submission and a universal principle of suffering that we can relate to. I was talking with a gentleman earlier this week, and he talked about how he's uh, in, in his job, they were working through some policies that would um, go against what they believed. And he spoke up for that, and eventually um, they didn't, they continued to do what they were doing, and this individual had to submit uh, but this individual may be treated unjustly as a result of that, of him standing up for what he believes and what is true. He may not um, get the perks and privileges. He may have to work late or, or do other things. And so we, we realize that when we live such good lives that we'll experience suffering. So when your boss is harsh, do you submit to them out of respect in such a good way? Or do we give in to our sinful desires to respond sinfully? To gossip, to slander, to correct the books. So if we're going to experience suffering as we live differently and submit to those in authority over us, we have to realize that we can also endure the unjust suffering that we're facing. Look at verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. It's a good thing. Some of your translations may say it's favorable or it's a gracious thing. The idea here is that when you endure the pain of unjust suffering for doing good, you get favor with God. God is pleased. And the concept and how that is is worded is that there is a reward for that. God will reward us. Not maybe just in this life, but definitely when we stand before him and he says, well done. It's a grace, that gracious thing or that commendable thing is a, benefic a beneficent dis disposition towards someone. Favor, grace, or gracious care, help. It's received from another. It's the idea of reward. But you have to be, in order to get that, you have to be conscious of God. And what does that mean? It means always an awareness of God. It's like as we sang and we were reminded that God is, is good, he is sovereign, that he rewards those who endure unjust suffering, that he can create and allows everything to happen 
He's all-knowing. He knows what you're going through. He can empathize with you. It's being aware, the mindset. And when we are aware of God, when we're thinking, okay, I am submitting to my unjust boss or employer or I'm enduring unjust suffering, but I'm doing that in submission to God. We receive grace. We receive, uh, we will receive a reward that's commendable. We will be commended for it. Then just in case some of us suffer justly, Peter says in verse 20, then how is it to your credit or your reward or your grace if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you do wrong and are punished for it and endure it, your only reward is that of stupidity. If you skip work and you get a knock on your employee record and you endure that, well, it's not what he's talking about. Because we're suffering, we're experiencing that because of what we've done, our sinful responses. But, he says in verse 20, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating and do wrong and endure it? But, if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it. Again, this is commendable before God. This is gracious. This is favorable to God. So we can endure the unjust suffering that we're facing because it's commendable. God is pleased and will reward us. But we also can endure unjust suffering that we're facing because we're called to it. Verse 21. To this you were called. To this, to the unjust suffering resulting in doing good you've been called. This is not that you've been called to a life of prosperity, things going well, promotions, luxury jets, Mercedes Benz, you name it. It's not what we're called to. This is the this counteracts the idea that as a Christian, my life is to go super well. We're called to unjust suffering. That's who we are. To be a Christian is to be a sufferer. And of that, sometimes unjust sufferers. And why are we called to that? Why is that what we're called to do? Just keep reading. Because... Christ suffered unjustly for you. Christ suffered unjustly for you. The very fact that we have believed in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin calls us as a new, gives us a new nature. We're a new creation, new purposes, new mindsets. And one of that is to endure unjust suffering. but we have an example. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So what is the example or how can we endure unjust suffering that we are facing? By following Christ's example. What is his example? Buckle up. He committed no sin. 
and no deceit was found in his mouth. Verse 23, then when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That is his example. He abstained from sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He did not retaliate. He made no threats. Think about that. The creator of the universe not making any threats of justice or retribution. He didn't do it. He didn't gossip. He didn't slander. As they were mocking him and beating him, he did not sin. He did not retaliate. He made no threats. Isaiah says, like a sheep who is silent before his shears, he opened not his mouth. If Christ sinned, if Christ was deceitful, if he retaliated, if he made threats, we would not be redeemed. We would not be right with God, but he did not do that. He did not do that. He remained sinless so that we could become righteous. Instead, what did he do? Instead of doing those things, instead of responding sinfully, what did he do? Instead, or in contrast, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Entrusting himself means to entrust, to give to the care or persevere, sorry, Persevere, persevere, blah, 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 can't read that word. He gave over, he commended, he committed himself and his cause to God. We're all wired for justice, aren't we? Don't we want justice when we see injustice in the world? We're wired for it. We're created in God's image, in God's image, he is just. And so when we see injustice, we want to bring it about. But we're not perfect and we're not capable of bringing true justice. We're flawed. That's why we want to retaliate. That's why we want to threaten. That's why we want to slander. That's why we want to adjust the books. That's why we want to take and not work so hard. Because we're made in God's image and we're to reflect him, but we can't do that because of our sinful desires. So what do we just let it go? Let the injustice go? When we entrust ourselves to God, he's the one who judges justly. Sin will ultimately be accounted for. Injustices will be made right. Whether they are injustices that are paid for by the blood of Christ or in the last day when God judges the sin of the world. And when we are not focused on retribution or getting justice that we think we deserve, we say that God is going to take care of it. So that frees us from responding that way. We don't have to respond sinfully. We can let God take care of it. And think about this, all the energy and effort that we put into making a sense of justice in our work relationships or even in our suffering, what if all of that energy and time and prayer could be devoted to living good in such a way that the people who we're experiencing suffering from may come to Christ? 
Because here's a result. If you are suffering unjustly in your workplace or suffering unjustly, God would either, God, if God saves them, that sin and that injustice committed to you is paid for by Jesus. So you don't have to pay for it. God has already paid it for it. Or if God doesn't have that plan, that will be accounted for on the day of judgment. Because see, when I, try to, when I try to enact justice, I usually end up apologizing way more than I wanted to. I, I, I suffer more than if I just suffered unjustly. So when we find ourselves suffering unjustly, what will come with that is the need and the desire and the longing to enact justice in our own way. But we must abstain from those desires and entrust our cause to him who judges justly. Imagine if all your own justice efforts you're freed to put towards evangelism efforts, to living such good lives so that when people in your work environment or people who see you suffering say, how are you doing this? How are you enduring this treatment? How are you not slandering and, and getting back and getting upset? As we'll see later in the book of Peter, you'll be able to give a hope, a reason for the hope that you have. And maybe God wants to use your suffering and your godly response to share the gospel and to bring salvation. And so when we, when we think and we're conscious of God and when we focus on Christ's example, we can endure our unjust suffering and we can submit. And I can't think of a better way to solidify this point than taking time to remember Christ's example in communion. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to pass out the elements and we're going to sing as we do that. We're going to sing Jesus Messiah, name above all names. We're going, to, we're going to sing and we're going to praise God for his example on the cross. Because look what Peter continues to say. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. If it wasn't for the gospel... To save us, if it wasn't for Christ's sacrifice, we would not be redeemed, restored, and we would not be able to respond in a right way. We would not be able to respond, to, to, to say no to our sinful desires. Because without Christ, we cannot endure the pain of unjust suffering. So the elements are going are to pass and, and we're doing things a little bit different. There's two cups. Uh, the, the bread is underneath. And so when you grab that, when you're being served, grab both cups in the section. And we're going to sing and we're going to remember Christ's sacrifice. And after we sing, we'll, we'll, lead it, we'll lead into taking communion together after giving thanks. And as you're singing, think about how Christ suffered unjustly for you. Think about what he endured for you. Think about how he responded to his unjust suffering. This is a celebration for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus to follow him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just, we ask that you just let this pass because the meaning is significant for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But however, if you're not here without Jesus or you don't know him in a way that that has changed your eternal state, we would love the opportunity to talk to you about that, 
about how you can have forgiveness from sin and a restored relationship with God. So let me pray and our men will come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. Remember, take both uh, cups as they come and we'll sing about our wonderful Messiah. Father, thank you that we can endure unjust suffering because we are mindful of you. We're mindful of who you are and, and that we're your servants and we're called to submit to you. And as we submit to all human authorities and our employers, we, we're really submitting to you. Thank you that we can endure the unjust suffering. Thank you that we're called to it. It seems crazy to think that we're called to something undesirable, but that is what we're called to do. Thank you for Christ and his sacrifice freeing us from sin so that we can live such good lives. We can glorify you and we can demonstrate what life with you looks like. And as we remember Christ's example, oh, thank you for sending Christ who suffered for us. Lord, help us to see Christ. Help us to see his love. Help us to see his example as our wonderful, merciful Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we look to Christ's example, we're called to this because Christ suffered for us, leaving it as an example that we should follow in his steps. More people, more like Jesus. More people enduring unjust suffering. And when we do, we can endure because we know that God is favored by that. And when we suffer, we don't threaten. When they insults are thrown at us, we don't retaliate. We say no to our sinful desires and responses. Instead, we trust ourselves to Him who judges justly. We endure. And why? Because as we endure, remember that it is commendable before God that we receive His favor, the favor of our Savior and Lord, and one day our reward. But not only that, we may have the opportunity to be part of God's saving process in those who are watching us. This allows us to submit to every human authority, to our employers, to our government, and all of those in our authority. We were like sheep who wandered astray. But we have been brought back to our chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ's example. He suffered for us, bringing us salvation, allowing us to say no to sin and yes to living good lives. And Lord, because of our salvation, because of Christ's unjust suffering. We're restored to you and your Holy Spirit is alive and at work in us. We can, by the Spirit's power, endure, say no to sin, live godly lives. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be conscious of you. Help us to reflect on your example, our salvation that gives us what we need and Lord, when we do fail, we do choose to sin. Lord, thank you for your grace 
And that sin has already been paid for so that we can continue to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Help us to follow him. Help us to suffer like Jesus suffered so that you are pleased and maybe, just maybe, we would have an opportunity to share the hope that we have so that others too may glorify you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.